1: Of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy, there is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and hopshead. Cheers!
2: Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Fly on the Call, candid conversations on music. Things are going smoothly as I get into the swing of things with churning out a weekly podcast. Thank you to everyone who listened to our debut episode last week with Eric of Proper. The feedback I've gotten has been positive and constructive, so I appreciate that too. If you did listen last week, hopefully you'll notice an improvement in the audio quality of this intro. I'll be tweaking things a little as I'm learning, but the solo parts should be sounding better, and starting with episode 4, the audio quality of the interviews themselves should get better too. But on to our guest. This week we have Kevin Tully of Telethon. The band recently released their fourth LP, Hard Pop, via Take This Start Heart Records, and they put out one of my favorite releases of last year with their Modern Abrasive EP. Telephone's music exists across the vast spectrum of music genres, taking as many cues from classic rock and musical theater as they do pop punk and indie rock. Our conversation might not cover quite as much ground as their music, but I think it's a really fun one, so please enjoy.
1: Just kind of starting off by asking the very vague question of uh, what have you been working on lately?
0: What have I been working on lately? Well, I mean, we just put out Hard Pop in June, so I think we're finally the dust is kind of clearing on that, uh, and we're starting to think about like what the next move will be um, not like move, but like creative endeavor for telethon or, um, or any other projects we have. And I'm kind of writing, I'm writing a few songs and like hooks for telethon songs as always. And, uh, I also am like playing around with the idea of maybe starting a project like a, like more of a, I don't know, like heartland, I guess you could say alt country sort of Mm -hmm. vibe project. So I kind of have been writing little ideas for that. Or that also might just become another telephone thing, but we're we're just always busy working on stuff. And then we all have day jobs too.
1: I mean with like all the kind of influences that show themselves in like Teleton's music, how how do you kind of differentiate now that you're potentially like starting working on another solo project, but like how
0: do you kind of differentiate what would be for that versus telephone? it's, it's difficult and I don't think it necessarily has to be different from Telethon because I mean, in a way we've created a environment with Telethon where I don't think anybody would be super surprised if we came out with a piece of work that was like all revolving around a completely weird genre or like just completely out of the ordinary. Cause all of our music like kind of floats from genre to genre, if that makes sense. I feel like, We could really, if we wanted to release an alt country uh, album or like an electronic album, like we could if we wanted, and I don't (laughs) think people would be that surprised. But I don't know, it as far as like subject matter, I don't think like it needs to be differentiated. But also, but I've I also live in Chicago, and Mm. there's a lot of like musicians that I've never worked with here that are friends or acquaintances, and sometimes it just seems like it might be kind of fun to play with like a different set of people, not because I'm sick of the telethon boys or anything, but like, what would the music that I make with some of these people I have met here, what would that sound like? So it's more just like, would it be fun to make music outside of telethon or would it kind of not make sense? I I haven't decided that yet, but it's still fun (laughs) to uh, write, to write just Like, kind of just, uh, as I'm writing songs, just stay within the, I guess, room or the space of, like, more folky, acoustic guitar-driven, at least at this point, um, country and folk stuff.
1: Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And, like, you mentioned, like, working with other artists. Like, that would be really interesting to see, like, what kind of influences they brought in, too, especially since,
3: like,
1: Telecom's, like, four LPs in and stuff. It's like you guys... Probably have a pretty good handle on, like,
0: where everyone's wheelhouse is and stuff, so. 100%, yeah. I mean, we also know each other since high school, so, and have played in bands together since high school and middle school, even in some cases. So, it's like, I truly have no idea what it would sound like if, like, I had a different different set of people working with me. I don't know. I, I feel like it would definitely take some getting used to, and in a way, creatively, that sounds kind of interesting. I can't tell if it's good or bad or if it would just be... I think it would just be something new.
1: And I wanted to uh, hit on um, the opener to the album, Loser slash That Old Private Hell. I know it's like one that you guys had mentioned was one that you were like super excited for fans to hear. And I know um, like reading through a lot of the reviews, a lot of them mentioned that. And like specifically like the first line, like the magic of being a loser is that nobody has to find out. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about, like, that song and how it came together and, like, the lyrics behind it and stuff?
0: That song had a completely different set of lyrics to begin with. When I was writing hard pop, before it was called hard pop, it was, like, going to be a concept album, and that was always going to be the opener. We had, like, the melody and the, the structure of the song, and I had already written a bunch of lyrics kind of about kind of setting the scene in a small town and talking about specific events in the small town. And then, long story short, I blew that whole thing up and started fresh um, and rewrote all the lyrics, but a lot of them stayed the same in that song. Um, and yeah, like, I, I wrote that line, the magic of being a loser is that nobody has to find out. Like, that that was a line where, when I was first playing with the melody, like, those were the first lines that I sang to that melody, actually, that's the weird. That's actually a weird case where that that the kind of random assortment of words that came out of my mouth as I was playing with that those chords and that melody are actually what I kept in the song.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and over time, like that phrase, I mean, it makes sense to read it and say it, but then I wanted to explore. I guess what are some of the details that could flesh out a statement like that. And that became the rest of the song. I think, I think that whole first, that first line, I couldn't concisely tell you what it means, except that it's, it's at once reassuring, but also (laughs) self-deprecating. And I think that sums up hard pop pretty well. Um, Wasn't really a conscious thing. It's just how music comes out of me, but it's like, you know, yes, yes. You're a loser. But you don't have to form your life and your perception of yourself around that, you know. Mm-hmm. So. For sure,
1: yeah. I, I think it's like the way I kind of take it is like almost like like yeah, you can think you stuck in your head or whatever, but like in the end, like are other people like really thinking about you or like what are like their perception of you isn't necessarily like the same as yours and stuff. And I think that. Yeah, that's like I, that's the way I think, and I I find, like I feel like that's really an interesting kind of like idea behind it.
0: Yeah, I was playing with that. I mean, we have that that's that's you you said it correctly, I think. And not to call back to lyric, more lyrics that I wrote, but uh, we have this song called "Risks" that is off of our album "Satoshi." which came out in 2016, and there's a line on that that. Sometimes you write a line and you say it to your like you I, I still think about them like um in a reassuring way where it's like I wrote this kind of reassurance to myself X amount of years ago and I still say it to myself but but um this line in risks where it's uh I know you I know you're worried about the way that the public perceives you, but trust in the statistics that they don't even see you. And I think that sums <laughs> up kind of my like it's my anxiety, but also my reassurance to myself uh, that I do almost daily. And I do actually think of this, like, it's kind of nice to have this, like, database of, of words that you've written, almost like, I guess that's why people keep diaries, huh? Good good thoughts that, that will make you feel better in moments like that. For sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it must be, like, also a little bit, like, confidence-boosting to be like, I wrote those words, and they're making me feel better. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I wrote them to feel better in general. Like, and so to know that they're still making me feel better, I always think about that. Like, that that shows some sort of stability in personality. Like, if, if that makes sense. Like, like, I always think about how people change, but certain aspects of them don't as mm-hmm. the years fly by. And I don't know, It feel it does feel kind of nice to know, like, Okay, I was worried about the same old shit in two thousand and sixteen as I am in two thousand nineteen <laughs> and uh and I made it through the already three years of you know life since then so i'll I'll make it through this current bout with whatever I'm grappling with,
1: yeah, that definitely makes sense uh, and you mentioned that like the opening track was kind of always gonna be the opener. And I feel like typically it's kind of like the finale tends to be like kind of the six and a half minute epic and stuff. So what was it that like made that um, feel like an opener to you guys?
0: I think the, I think the fact that it has that tight little intro, tight meaning small and concise, um, like the fact that it was written with that and that feels very much like, I don't know, the curtain just opened, uh, to use, I don't know, like a theatrical um, metaphor here, like the curtain just opened and that's the first, those are the first lines you hear, or like that's the first melody you hear, like that made sense mm-hmm. to us. Um, and sometimes you're just, you just, your gut says like, yeah, this is definitely a closer, this is definitely an opener. Um, and we thought it would be an interesting, like a, a cool statement to open up a record with a very long song. Cause I don't think, I don't think we've done that yet. You <laughs> know, we ha- we've we've never really thinking back. Like most of our openers have just been like normal length songs or very short songs. So, so yeah, to have to be this, like, I think it's the longest song on the album. Like that seemed like a interesting move. We hadn't tried yet. And we're always looking for those. So, those two things coupled together. Yeah. It just felt like the intro. And
1: you mentioned kind of like feeling like it was like the current opening. Um, and there's definitely like kind of a lot of theatrical kind of influence to the music. Can you like speak a little bit to that? Um, like the influence and like the kind of
0: over the top showy uh, vibe that you guys sometimes have? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are times when it is intentional. Like, I mean, there are songs on the Grand Spontanean. Like, I mean, that was a rock opera, so obviously it's going to be inspired by rock operas and, and musical theater and stuff. So, like, that was totally intentional. But at the same time, like, our last EP and our newest LP, Hard Pop, like, we're really just trying to make the music that, like, we're just, we're not, we're not setting out to make theatrical music, but I think the fact that, I don't know, there's five of us, and one of them is playing keys. I think it always is going to come out sounding like, in a way, theatrical or grandiose, and I think maybe just the way that we write hooks makes it sound like, uh, I think, I think we definitely have a lot of, um, influence from big rock records as well as musical theater. Like, whether we're even trying to or not, I think it just comes out sounding like that. That's not to say, like, like, there aren't moments, I guess, when it is intentional, but, but yeah, I think more or less it's just a product of circumstance at this point and the and product of, like, influences we don't even realize we're employing, <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. Again, kind of, like, speaking to the influences, uh, how do you guys kind of, like, juggle all the different sounds that you have? And like, a lot of the interviews that – or a lot of the reviews that I read mentioned – Kind of that the sound is all over the place but that it's also really cohesive
0: yeah i'm stoked that it comes across that way because again i think this goes back to what i was just saying like we're not trying we're really not trying for anything we just have these structures of songs usually they start off as um you know just acoustic guitar or yeah just like a collection of chords and then just through playing together as a band they become like kind of random randomly assorted. Like sometimes we'll say, okay, and this the second verse needs a little something extra, so we're gonna mix up the time or turn it ska or whatever. Sometimes we'll just do that while we're working through the the songs. And it just like we never want to force anything. I think maybe in the past we've like to varying degrees of success. I can't think of any specific examples. Like we've tried to force a sound on a certain song Mm -hmm. and like sometimes that works, but it's also not that interesting to me. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that what we're doing now is the most natural progression of of that. If if, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. where we're just letting the ideas, whatever we think of in the moment that we think would sound good for the part, for the you know basic skeleton of the song in terms of arrangement. Like that's what we do and we try not to overthink it. And I think because we all listen to different stuff and we know each other so well, like it just, we can quickly at the drop of a hat, switch gears and do something weird with it. Um, and that's what I really, really, really love about playing in telethon. Yeah, I mean, so,
1: it's really interesting that you mentioned kind of, like, the natural progression. And I think that kind of, like, ties back to, like, lyrically, how you're saying it was originally going to be another concept album, but then you it mm-hmm. just didn't feel right and you kind of cut it down. Can you talk a little bit more about, like, that transition, uh, lyrically? Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was probably, like, a month before we are going to go record, and I had this whole concept like mapped out and a couple songs written for it, and when I say mapped out, I mean like I had like the blocks of the story, like the things that needed to happen, which is which is how I wrote the lyrics of the Grand Spontanean. and that worked really well. Um, to to do it like that, but then we were like we were like a month out, and I had this kind of blurry. I had I had a story, but it kind of I couldn't quite get happy with it, and I also didn't want it to be another like really cut and dry like rock opera. And I wanted to be more impressionistic and stuff, but I also had a really specific story. So those two things naturally conflict with each other and, and to put it as, you know, quickly as possible, or like, like as, as summatively as possible, like, I just like was not feeling happy with it. I like was feeling, I had a crisis of confidence, you could say in the, in the story and like Mm -hmm. my ability to write, I felt very painted into a corner and my inclination after a while was like, well, how bad would it be if I just started kind of trying to claw my way out of this corner that I painted myself into? Like what (laughs) if I, what if I blew it up and started fresh and just took like these songs that, and we know that the songs have good, good melody. Like the songs are almost completely done and like, Like, there are, like, most of them were were written musically. And so, really, it was just a matter of finding, like, lyrics. And Mm -hmm. so, I just started rewriting, like, Loser, That Old Private Hell one night. And within the first half hour, I had the whole song completely rewritten. And, like, I don't think I really picked up my well, I I don't think I really, like, stopped typing at any point. It was just, like, it was just a complete flow state where I was, like, making sure the line would work in the context of the song, typing it up and like, it just came out of me and I was like, well, that felt really awesome. Um, cause I hadn't, cause I had been so creatively blocked up to that point. Um And so then I was like, what if I tried that with some other songs? And I started doing that and suddenly it was like, I don't know. It it was, it was the, the corner I had painted myself into was, was no more like the walls of the, The the walls had been torn down, and it felt great. So, and and I think the record is about is is a million, jillion times better (laughs) because of it, because it just came out so. um, I don't know. I, I think it's definitely our most personal record. It's the one I wrote the fastest, and I still think it's the one I'm proudest of. So, I'm very very happy I made that decision to like. It was scary at the time to to just completely like one month until we had to actually record it and and it had to be done. Like I just, just started fresh. So I don't know that, that should go for anybody who is thinking about doing something similar. Like if you feel creatively stuck, like nobody's pushing you in one, nobody's necessarily pushing you in a, in the direction you think you should take. Like, like if you, if your gut says to try something new, then you probably should try something new. And like, I, I don't know that, that validated that theory for me when I, when I did that.
1: For sure. Yeah. And actually like that actually like speaks to me a lot too. Cause like the way that this podcast came together was that I just like, wasn't feeling super motivated to like write, but I was still really wanted to like, I love doing interviews. And I still really wanted to talk to bands. Yeah. So like I had the idea of the podcast and it came together like super quickly after the fact. So it's interesting to see that yeah.
0: parallel. a <laughs> while. Yeah, no. And that's, I mean, ask, I feel like so many good things come out of situations like that. We're like, I mean, if, if you're going to, if you're doing, you can do something that your heart's not in for a certain amount of time. And like, it helps if you're getting paid or if it's like your job <laughs> or, or there's some sort of stability or, or reliability about it. Like, I think, that's definitely – there's something to be said about that. But, like, if it's something where the only person pushing you is yourself and you're not feeling excited about it, like, really gut check and find something you can change about it or do, do in a new way that will make you excited about it. And just accept that as, like, the right – that's the right approach because you feel it's right in the moment. You know what I mean? For sure. for yeah. not, not overthinking it. So, so like, yeah, I think like the podcast example, like you were not, I'm assuming this about you, but I'm assuming you weren't, you hadn't stopped being stoked about music and talking about music. You just didn't want to do the act of, of putting, putting it on paper or typing it up. You wanted to talk, you wanted to, to talk about it like yeah for sure It's like the same the same thing in essence in and keyword in essence but (laughs) it's a different format you just went with what was easiest so i think that's awesome I'm i'm all for i'm all for doing that in life
1: yeah definitely um and it's also really interesting like it makes now that you say it it makes a lot of sense that like a lot of these lyrics came out almost, like, stream of consciously because it's, like, the lyric, or the album is, like, so dense lyrically. And, like, hearing that you cut all the lyrics that you had, like, a month beforehand, I was like, how did it turn into that, Then So it makes a lot of sense that it, like, came out, like, super fast.
0: Yeah, I mean, it turns out a lot can happen. And, like, I hadn't really written straight up from my perspective since we first started out and, like, I was first writing music like obviously I'm always writing in my voice but it's it's always a kind of variations on my voice but to actually write from I don't know the perspective of me age 28 when I hadn't done it since I was like whatever 20 23 or 24 like turns out a lot can change in four or five years so I had a lot to say and getting it out was like I, I it was a profound sort of catharsis
1: I know you've been working with Jack Shirley like pretty much consistently since Tetrosis came out. Um, can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about like the relationship, like, the working relationship with him?
0: Yeah. I mean, he's great. He's, I would consider, a, one of our best band buddies. I don't think we'll ever stop going. As long as we're a band, I'm assuming we'll be making records with Jack Shirley's involvement. Uh, and over time, like like you said, we started off making Citrosis with him at his studio. And I I lived out there at the time in California. So it was like, cool producer, lives near me. Everybody can come out. It'll be a fun vacation for them. And we'll just make this record, see how it goes. Um, And we were like super intimidated by him at first because he knows exactly what he's doing. And we didn't really at the time. We had only made records by ourselves for basically for ourselves up to that point. But over time, like, we made Citroses with him. Then we went back to him and made the Grand Spontaneum. That was such, like, we had, like, I think two weeks to make that 30-song album, which, I mean, it was a good amount of, definitely a good amount of studio time, but also, like, no amount of time would have been enough to make that. Um, And so we, we learned how to really work efficiently and quickly with him without really, like, being precious about anything. And then he mixed and mastered modern abrasive, which is the EP we put out last year and it ended up sounding great. We tracked that one ourselves, and he mixed and mastered it. And then of course we went back and did hard pop. And it was like, we, um, didn't even have to like exchange niceties at first. Like it was like, obviously we did because we were happy to see him and he's happy to see us because we're friends, but he, um, we just, he knows exactly the sound that we make together and he knows exactly what amps and guitars and equipment to give us out of his huge selection of them, exactly, you know, where to start um, in terms of all of the tracking magic, like that happens. Like he knows exactly like what setup we need to use to get the signature sound, I guess. And we can just make music pure and simple, like just put record music, mess, mess with it. Um, you know, do dubs and, and fix, fix stuff. And like, he's just basically there to create, like, create as little noise as he possibly can you know in the in the process and, and like but he's also an essential part of the process and that he gets us completely and will
3: mm-hmm.
0: know how to service any he basically speaks our language and i would urge you should strive in a creative relationship to like get to that point it's hard it's so freaking hard um i think to to get to that point but if you can find it either with your with your bandmates and or with the people you're working with or or even in any other medium like to To create a shorthand where you can pick up where you left off, like it's just such an awesome thing to to have so forever grateful for Jack Shirley he's a man,
1: yeah, I mean that definitely sounds like a super like cool and special relationship that you guys have,
0: yeah, I mean, and it's not not like sassy or anything uh it, it's like um it's he's just a he's a great. Great buddy, and um, I wish I, I wish we saw him more. Really, I, the only time we ever see him is when we're hard at work making records. Um, mm-hmm. But he's also just a really cool dude who has worked on. He's like it's it's just a fountain of knowledge. He really should be like a college professor or something.
3: Um,
0: <laughs> so I, I wish he was more of like. I wish I, he's someone that I could probably see every day and like, I don't know, and and, and not get tired of. Um, But also, I mean, we only see him when he's working on our records. So uh, I guess I can't, can't know that for sure, but he's the man. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Uh, And I know you've been sharing like a couple of the isolated orchestral tracks lately um, from Hard Pop.
3: Could you talk a little about Mm -hmm.
1: like... um, how those come together, like the making of
0: like, those Oh yeah. and that's kind of, kind of a weird. Stuff. That's a weird aspect of it. Um, cause the, the, the person that arranges those and records them, his name is Peter Hess. He is, uh, another, he's a genius. I was introduced to him through his friends, uh, Franz Nikolai from the Hold study and he's worked with the Hold study and world internal friendship society and TV on the radio and all these other bands. And he lives in Brooklyn and he has this whole kind of like group of friends and professional acquaintances who basically play any orchestral instrument you can think of. And he also has an amazing mind for com- composing and arranging orchestral parts. Mm-hmm. And so like our relationship started when, on the Grand Spontanean because we knew we wanted that to have the air of theatricality, um, and so, how do you create that um, without, you know, apart from from rock instrumentation? I think or, orchestra goes a long way to doing that. Um, and somehow we lucked out with this with this dude who just again he gets us because he's worked with bands like The Hold Steady, who I think are one of our big influences um, and make a similar type of music as we do. I think at its core and without me even need, needing to send this dude chords or anything. I just we just send him like the most rudimentary like stupid descriptions of what we're thinking as well as maybe some sonic references and he's like, "Okay, let me see what I can do." And before we know it, like he doesn't even send us back like demos or anything. He's just like, "Okay, uh it's a couple weeks later, I had some friends over and we we did this and it's like freaking amazing. Um lined up like perfectly well recorded cuz he has his own studio it's like orchestral tracks and it's, we couldn't have asked for a better working relationship with him because we don't have to do shit like i send him a google doc and i'm like hey so on um on this uh on this song from spontaneous martyrs view from the view that's dot that, dot dot um we're thinking it sounds kind of like a Randy Newman song so you know here's here's like a here's like a Randy Newman song we're thinking of from Sail Away or whatever, or, or, um, Little Criminals. Could you try to emulate that? And then it comes back sounding like freaking Randy Newman and like how cool it's like the coolest feeling ever. We always geek out so hard. He also plays a mean saxophone and any saxophone solo you're hearing in a telephone song is being played by him. Uh, I think there's like two or three of them at this point, but he's, he's the man. And his friends are all super talented.
1: Do you feel like not having that at the live show uh, like affects the songs in new way? Or do you just see them as kind of two
0: separate experiences? It's two separate experiences. I mean, we've had people come up and, like, rip rip a saxophone solo during certain, like, The Runner's High, which is a song that has a big Springsteen-esque saxophone solo. But at the same time, like, obviously, we don't want to tr We can't travel around with an orchestra and we don't know anybody who could do it anyway um like that would want to do that um and so i think when people see us like i think we definitely emphasize the the parts that you don't hear the the orchestral intricacies work themselves out because we just kind of like rock harder because Mm -hmm. of it Because we know it's supposed to be there so like jack will do a guitar solo or instead of a sax solo and like I don't know. If you've heard the song, you can kind of fill in the blanks of what's missing. And if you haven't, I think they still, then it's like you heard the song, maybe you liked it with its core rock instrumentation in the live show. Now you go back and listen to the record and it's like, uh, has a completely different vibe because it has all this orchestral nuance or, or even just, even just the way a song is arranged could be completely different when you translate it to a live setting. Um, and so, yeah, I just think of that as, like, the, I think it's fun to have little differences between the studio records and the live recordings, and that's what makes a band dynamic and interesting.
1: And I know we kind of hit on the lyrics a little while ago, um, and you, mm-hmm. like, scrapping the, the original concepts and stuff. Is there any chance we'll ever see any of those, like, uh, alternate version with the uh, original concept lyrics?
0: No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I Well, I mean, part of that is by necessity because, unfortunately, the hard drive I was working on, uh, that, that all that was, like, written on and I hadn't converted <laughs> it to the cloud yet, that hard drive straight up failed and all the data was wiped from it. Oh, so wow. <laughs> there's that. But I also remember some of it, and, like, I sometimes accidentally start singing it, like, when – it, it happens way less now, but it used to happen all the time because, like, I would I would start singing the alternate lyrics. So, like, I mean, <laughs> I can remember some of them, but at the same time, and I, like, remember the story, but it also just wasn't, I don't know. It kind of gives me a bad feeling in my, the pit of my stomach when I, like, think about that because it was such like a, I don't know. I was so creatively unhappy with it. It wasn't because it was bad, either. It's just my heart wasn't in it, and I think, realistically, I just needed to do something different than I needed to get out of that corner, and so I don't know. I don't see any reason to, like, return to it, and I used to think maybe, like, no good concept ever really dies, so maybe it will come back, and at the same time, like, but then I would have to, That would mean, I would have to, like, revitalize it, and I don't know if I really want to do that, so who knows? It could happen.
1: I also wanted to hit on kind of like the fan base in general, because I feel like you guys have a really like strong and passionate fan base, even if it's not like, you know, you're not like one of the huge bands in pop punk or anything like that. Um, Just kind of by the, uh, I guess kind of like partially like the nature of your music, but I think that also is what um, kind of brings out this passion in bands. Could you tell me a little bit about like that aspect of the band?
0: Yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, and I am super into it. Uh, I love that, like, the people that, like, we might have less people who are, and, and, and it's and it's definitely grown, so I'm not complaining. Like, this band has gone way farther than I ever thought, I think any of us ever thought it would, and we're hashtag, great, hashtag grateful for that. <laughs> um, but, uh, hashtag blessed. But, Like, I think the fact that we have, like, I don't know, we're not setting out to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. Um, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean, I'm not saying we're better than them or in any way. Um, we just like, I don't know how to make the music that's trendy. I only know how to make the music that I make, you know? And I think we Mm -hmm. all feel the same way. Um, and so the fact that anybody listens to it and, and feels a pull to it is, is the best. And, um, I do think that there's loyalty there. I don't know why, uh, except just the fact that, I mean, we have a lot of music, like, I mean, we counted it up the other day cause we did like a survey of like, what are your top five favorite telephone songs? I don't know why we did that. So that'd be fun. Um, and I was like, that was the first time I ever saw them all written out. I was like, holy shit, we have 75 (laughs) songs. Like, I mean, it must feel, it would be cool, I guess, to like get into a band that isn't broken up. I mean, just stepping outside of, of, you know, myself right now, like it'd be cool to discover a band that's still active and still playing like a small, like in small clubs and you can talk to them and, and all that stuff. Cause we're just normal, normal people with day jobs and just completely normal people. But we also have five records that you can discover. It's not just one record. It's like, we have a whole, you know, discography that you can, if you discover hard pop, you can then go back and listen, like, like, oh shit, there's a 90 minute rock opera in here. Or maybe you discover the rock opera and then you get really into all the records surrounding it. Like, so I think I'm, I'm happy that it's resonated with, with people. Um, and i think that's what i like secretly wanted out of making music is like the um well a i want i always want people to like me and <laughs> b b just like creative like to be able to create something and have at least a small set of you know a, a sizable set of people like care about it and care that i made it and listen to it and like mostly just think about it and, and talk talk to me about what it made them feel and maybe correlates in their own life. And people do that now. And it's so, it's like the most gratifying thing in the world. It's like, I, I think it's, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think that's like, at its core, what I wanted to write music about my life for in the first place. So.
1: I actually did just go through the whole discography today.
0: You said that? That?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you tweeted that. And
0: I was like, I was like, oh my God, are you going to talk to me now? Like, <laughs> kind of now just, like, in bed, like, exhausted. It's, like, it's quite an undertaking.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it was actually the first time that I had listened to uh, Witness. And I was very mm-hmm. surprised at, like, the, the change in sound between that and
3: citrosis.
0: All right. Now you have to go through and tell me all of your deepest, most thoughts about each one. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I am curious, though, to, like, what would you think of... Uh, like, Witness definitely is way different. I mean, we didn't know what the hell we were trying to sound like at the time, but um, I don't know. We've kept it, we've kept it as we consider that our first LP. So I always assume, like, people are surprised when they go back and listen to that. Cause we made it in a freaking university library basement in the dead <laughs> of winter. Like, so it, like, sounds different like we hadn't quite figured it out so i was wonder how jarring it is to go back and listen to that for the first time
1: yeah it was definitely like I said, it was definitely unexpected but i could definitely i could hear like roots of the sound in it for sure and just generally you know it was like i thought it was a good rock record and stuff oh um, good i mean i definitely saw like obviously a leap between that and citrosis and i feel like there was not like the same type of leap. There was also a leap between Grand Spontanean and Modern Abrasive. Could you talk a little bit about the gap between those two records?
0: Do you mean like the differences or like, are you saying you saw like a big difference when you say a leap? Or do you mean like like, they like transition into each other?
1: Um, I guess I mean, like, I feel like the sound in Modern Abrasive is kind of more it feels more like concise and more like specific, you're, I guess, yeah, a I little think, bit. I
0: think you're right. Yeah, totally, totally see what you mean. Um, yeah, uh, we were really obsessed with like on modern and break. So on spontaneous, we were like, uh, well, to preface this all, it's all evolution and us just getting, I think, better. I think that's a, almost an objective fact. Like we've just gotten better at playing with each other and knowing what what kind of sound we're trying to make. We've just honed it in um, over time. So that's just what happens in the the years between making records. Um, So there's that. But then, like, on the Grand Spontanean, we were trying to evoke the feeling of, like, epic rock operas and classic rock, like, and double albums and and just, like, giving it a lot, a lot, a lot of room to breathe. So, like... Bruce Springsteen's "The River" was a big influence. Um, I was just talking to somebody about Meatloaf uh, and like "American Idiot" and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Modern Abrasive, we were listening to like a shitload of Towns of Wayne and like "Cheap Trick" and all those records, and and just really tight, well constructed, tight pop records.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, power Pop records and I and we were like I think we could make something like this um and suddenly we had you know an eight track EP of (laughs) concise pop songs and then we took that and we were like well that that worked well what if we kind of mixed the grandiosity of our last LP with like the tightness of the last EP and I think that's a pretty good summation of what Hard pop is at the risk of sounding like too pretentious or like I'm thinking about it too much, I think like naturally like the the green spontaneous plus modern abrasive equals hard pop mm-hmm. so, um, yeah,
1: I think actually like hearing you talk about that makes a lot of sense, and like if you had asked me what my favorite telephone release was before I listened to today, I think I would have said modern abrasive, but like hearing it all kind of like at once and hearing the like you said, like the similarities and the differences between the last three releases, I think it really gave me like an even more even more of an appreciation for hard pop.
0: Yeah. I mean and we're not trying to do that in any way. Um but afterwards, you know, once you actually hear the finished product, I think it's kind of like clear in retrospect what what ends up happening, you know? Um I also mm-hmm. think like the fact that it's an LP with a bigger budget and more time to make it and I don't know, an LP just has a lot more planning and thought to it I think than, than an EP in, in many cases. Um the fact that that like hard pop has orchestra stuff and all that make it make it also feel more like the Grand Spontanean than than modern abrasive, mm-hmm. but but yeah, it's uh definitely a mix all going in there. I, I definitely wonder what the next thing will sound like because um, cause my, my opinion is that like hard pop is really just like the type of record we've always been trying to make and so I just kind of see us continuing along this path. So I hope that's not boring for people that are expecting us to sound different on every record or for each record to be slightly like different in some way because I think we've kind of found the groove that we've been looking for for five years and this is where we're this is the pocket we're going to stay in for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, even if the, the records stay relatively similar, but the songs are different from one to another. So I'm sure the exactly, will be that, exactly. That variety. It's, all about um, the, it's
0: all about the hooks, good hooks <laughs> well, and good songs.
1: And I don't really have a transition for these, but I do have a couple kind of random questions that I think would be fun to ask. Um, Obviously, like, amusement parks are something that's like really big for you and like kind of the identity of the band. What is it that kind of draws you to them?
0: I'm going to correct you and say theme parks. Amusement <laughs> parks are, are more, uh, amusement parks are a little, I, in my opinion, lower, bit substandard. I, I do like them, but like, I'm more obsessed with theme parks, okay. which would be I'm like your, sure. uh, I'm kind of being, I'm being facetious here and stupid, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, anyway, no, it's, uh, I'm a designer. Like that's my day job. And so I think the thing that got me into design is the kind of my childhood obsession with going to Disney world and like constantly trying to figure out like, okay, like this is all a manufactured environment. Why did they, manufacture it the way that they did like it was never necessarily about like the magic of it like the in terms of like the um like the magic to me has always just been in how they like operate and how they kind of the the feelings that they give people um mm-hmm. and you know the the scale of them the fun of them and i think that that kind of childhood obsession just carried over through um everything in in my life like it's really remained like the only constant of my interests um and i've always uh like it's just like something that that um seeps through in all of my creative endeavors and probably is the reason why i'm a designer Mm -hmm. and i like everybody else in the band loves them and i think just the fact that we all it's kind of become like a thing now how much we love theme parks and um, Disney and and Universal and and Six Flags and stuff like that. Mm -hmm.
3: Uh,
0: It's kind of become part of the lore, which is always what I wanted um, (laughs) to be able to like geek out and people to be able to put like theme park Easter eggs in in our songs or in, in anything I'm making and for people to actually like start to get it and like start to like us, like for theme park people to like find a niche within whatever I'm making and like be like, hey, this guy's like me. He's like secretly like me. I think that would be a cool, cool thing to aspire to. So,
3: yeah,
1: it's definitely going back to like the audience idea of things, like it's definitely another cool thing for people to be able to latch on to if they have if they feel that connection.
0: Yeah, I never want it to be too, too obvious. So, like, as, like the Hard Pop album cover is like a plastic house that existed at Disneyland in the '50s, but it's also just a cool picture of a of a um, kind of evocative house. Like it, it, it elicits some sort of emotion. And so I think of it like a good kind of like our version of the classic email record, like with a house on the cover, you know, except <laughs> it's a Disneyland house. <laughs> I, I had that's that so, thought the other day. Right. It's like, it's like, it's like our American football or like the hotelier house is but it is, <laughs> it at Disneyland.
1: Yeah. Too bad people won't be able to uh, visit it and take pictures in front of it. <laughs>
0: i went to the site where it used to stand and it's now like kind of like a weird little like courtyard garden thing that you can walk through and i i had learned that there was still foundation from the house that you could see in one place and so i was just kind of like wandering around trying to take a picture and like videotape myself in front of it like this is the (laughs) only thing that's left standing from the house of the future that's on the cover of the record but also it's it's like a tinkerbell uh, meet and greet area so i was just kind of the weird man that was alone and wandering around videotaping in the in the tinkerbell meet and greet area so i felt a little bit self-conscious and i think people were kind of peering at me um but but yeah i did i did find it eventually it was kind of cool
2: it's that time again We're rounding towards the end of the interview, so I'm going to take a quick moment to show appreciation to another creator who has inspired me lately. This week, I want to shout out the Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion podcast, hosted by Amanda Starling. The podcast focuses on women, LGBTQIA+, and people of color in the music industry, with conversations that are as fun as they are heartfelt. We already have some crossover since Eric from Proper was on while the band was still known as Great White, but there's sure to be even more in the future. There'll be a link to the podcast in the show notes, so please check it out.
1: What has been like a recent challenge and a recent success that
0: you've had like as far as the band goes? I'll start with the, with the success. Like, I think like, getting signed to take this to heart was a recent success. Um, I never thought that would ever happen. Uh, and, and it felt really good to know that like this thing that we used to really want to happen, but then kind of gave up on, like it was nice, that it actually did happen. We appreciated that. And then just the release of the record, I think went really well. It, it's like the, it, I'm I'm really happy that people like it and just to see that people think it's A lot of people have told me, like, I think it's our best yet, and, like, we agree, and that, those two things matching up, like, that feels good. I can't imagine, like, thinking you made the best thing of your life, and then you hear from people, like, that that they don't like it as much. Like, I don't know how I would react to that. Uh, I'm sure it will happen to me sometime, but it's a scary thought. Yeah. Um, And I would say, like, the ongoing challenge is, simply being a band in 2019 for lack of a better way to sum it up. Like as much traction as hard pop has gotten us, like it always feels like we're climbing uphill and that's fine. Like we're happy to do it, but at the same time, like, all we want is for like, as many people as possible to listen to the the songs that we put out. Like, like if I just want people to press play, listen to the whole song listen to the next song and just like literally just listen to our music and sometimes it feels like that's the hardest thing in the world um for anybody to do and like that 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 can sometimes be a bummer and be a challenge i, I shouldn't even say sometimes that's always kind of like a bummer for probably any band that's our size it's like it's like well how do you get the, how do you become one of those bands that I guess everybody's talking about? And, you know, then there's also the the constant worry, like, of why do I care about that? Like, why do I care about that validation so much? So it can sometimes <laughs> make you feel kind of yucky for caring about it. I don't know. Patience has paid off for us so far, and I'm sure it will <laughs> continue to pay off. Uh, and it really, it doesn't keep me awake at night because I know that there's like all the people that, that, uh, you know, do feel the same way as I do. And also there's a lot of people who like, like telethon. So that's great.
1: (laughs) Um, and I, I've been stealing this from Ron Funch's getting better podcast. I like to end that episode by asking for either like a piece of advice or just something that you've like generally been thinking about lately, whether it's related to the band or just life in general.
0: Let's see. These are advice are something I've been thinking about lately. There's like so many. <laughs> um, I tried to put some of those in the record, like stuff that I've been rattling in my head that has ma- made me feel better. And I would consider if you want to say advice. Yeah. Um, so like, don't overthink it. It doesn't have to be that hard. I think those are my two mottos right now is like, (laughs) it's like, if you're overthinking it, you're probably the only person in the room who is, you know, in the world who is like, if it's something insular and, and about yourself, like you're your harshest critic. And it's better to do something and finish it and have it done and, and out there than (laughs) to waste time second guessing it. That mm. that has been really freeing like uh, to to um to to have that kind of in the back of my head at all times for anything creative but also anything just in life in social settings or, or personal, professional, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And also that goes hand in hand with uh this is something I did put in a song, it doesn't have to be that hard which take that however you want, but there's a lot of people out there that are willing to support you if you're having a hard time with something and never forget the zillions of people who, maybe not zillions, but handful, a couple handfuls of people who do have your back because like those almost always outweigh the people that, Might be your harshest critics, or that might not like you, or whatever. So that's easy knowing that you have people out there that can help life not be that hard.
2: And there you have it. Episode 2 of Fly on the Call is a wrap. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Kevin for taking the time to talk. Please check the show notes and go listen to Telethon's Hard Pop out now through Take This to Heart Records, whether you've listened before or not. A special thank you to The Alternative for their help in promoting the show and Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song. Please subscribe if you've enjoyed this interview, and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. That's also where I'll be dropping a hint as to who the coming week's guest is every Monday. The first person to guess right will get to hear the episode early. You can send suggestions, feedback, or greetings to callpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day.